William Tincup, and we're broadcasting from the Greenhouse Booth at HR Tech in Las Vegas. Got Catherine with me today. We're going to be talking a little bit about interviewing, ghosting, all kinds of fun stuff. So while we do introductions first, uh, Catherine, would you do us a favor, the audience a favor, and introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Catherine Cant. So together we have the best last names. Yes, um, we do. We do. I We're going to open up a farm, uh, a firm. Cant Tin Cup. Hey, <laughs> what do we sell? Hey, can tin you get, cups. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, can you guys do? No, can't. No. No, I'm sorry. No, can't do it. That's um, so genius. I know. It's branding. Branding. Uh, but yeah, so I come from the talent acquisition space. I've okay. been there for over a decade now uh, across different functions of HR. Got my start in government, oh, cool. pivoted to recruitment agency, and then oh, wow. uh, joined a startup and helped it scale from 100 people to 730 people. Um, and was a director of talent acquisition operations. Ooh, the operations part. I want to dig into that in a little bit yeah. because I love that part. Because people, we don't, we don't talk enough about like what they do and mm-hmm. how that's systematized. So what do we do? We uh, First thing is, I, I remember a time in which a candidate asked you a question where you thought to yourself, that's a really cool question. Like that's a great, not, you know, not a, not a particularly hard question or, mm-hmm. you know, something that knocked you off your seat or anything like that, but just really, something that made you really thoughtful. Yeah, one I personally have stolen when I'm interviewing and discussing roles with a team just because I feel like it takes things beyond the job description and beyond what you see kind of at the surface level um, is for management positions specifically. But an individual asked me, what do you think success in this role should be for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days and beyond? What are your expectations of the role? Which, which is assumptive that you've actually given that thought and know what success is. What a great question. Exactly. And so often we as candidates, I think, and those looking for jobs, they often get asked that question as a candidate. But the right. reality is I'm not in your company. Right. And it's funny, I've had to give that answer recently in some interviews. And I've been like, I'm, I don't know what the ins and outs of your challenges are. I can yeah. talk to what you've shared with me. Right. And I can talk to what my perspective is based on kind of the high level of what I know. Right. But coming into a new role, I really want to know what the day in and day out challenges are, right? Because oh, sometimes you think it's one thing and then you get into the grit of it and you really see that's not the problem they need to solve. I they need to solve something so else. I love that on so many levels. I love that on so many levels. I hope candidates, when they when they listen to this, they steal that. Yeah. Because that is just a really good, thoughtful question. Yeah, I've stolen it. I've been asking <laughs> it myself. So, yeah. <laughs> so how do we get kind of folks past the resume? So, you know, you have a team uh, mm-hmm. of folks, right? You're trying to get them past looking at LinkedIn or looking at the resume and going, okay, there's there's things in there, and there's a bunch of stuff that's not in there. So how do you intellectually or emotionally get them past the resume? Yeah, I think the first thing that's commonly misunderstood with resumes is resumes aren't there to get you a job. They're get there to get you an interview. And so Great I think that's point. the first thing that so often people misassume. And right. they, they think, you know, I'm going to put this in, and it's going to be stand out, and it's going to get me everything you need. You almost want to leave some questions there. Touch on the things you've done. Talk about talk about it. But the strategizing, the ideation, the project management, all those things come out in an interview conversation. Oh, 100%. So talk to the data. Talk to the metrics. Talk to some of these other aspects. But 
go in with a goal of getting an interview so that you can go in deeper into the how, the why, the problems you solved. And no all one's those ever said that to me. No? No. That's first time. And I, I love it because a lot of people think that that's to get you the job job. Mm-hmm. It's just to get you in the door. No, exactly. And then once you're in the door, then it's storytelling and experience and all kinds of other stuff. Yeah. But it's just to get you in the door. Genius. Love yeah. it. Definitely going to steal it. <laughs> um, well, at least they tell you about it. No, I'm just kidding. So what's your bet on kind of reducing bias? Hiring bias, interview bias, et cetera. How are you teaching other people about, okay, what do we? here's what we know about bias now. Here's what we should be thinking about bias. Like, what's, you know, these are always kind of things that evolve. So what's your current bit? What's your current state with hiring bias? Oh, that's such a big question. Um, it's so weighted because there is so many different aspects of bias, right? right. There is the obvious roots you can go when it's visible. Right. Um, different aspects of people, whether it be their ethnicity, their gender, other right. things like that. But there's also so many other aspects of bias that come into the recruitment pro- process, whether that be comparison bias, you know, or recency bias, yep. or um, so many other aspects of bias that can make themselves present throughout the hiring process that I think what it really comes down to as a talent team is educating your leaders, educating them on what their biases might be, educating them on, you know, the common things that come up. Right. Um, and also really working with them to solve that. And I think solving it comes from collecting data. So it's it's a much bigger thing than just an easy checkbox. You know, you have to have the data with self-reported Yep individual answers to demographic things to help them bridge the gaps and see where those biases might be. Um, Because I I think there was a great example given yesterday at the keynote by Gina Davis, and she talked about the symphony example. Mm -hmm. And are you aware of this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. So I think that's the perfect example. And just, it's very conscious if they're hearing heels and still making the decision not to hire these women. Yep into the symphony. That's right. Um, so it's not unconscious. It's very conscious in it's that way. It's extremely conscious. Very, even if you don't know you're doing it, it is very clearly a decision that's being made. 100%. Um, but people aren't honest with themselves about it. So Do you think they, it's because they don't know that they have that bias or they know they have the bias and they don't want it to change? I think it varies. Yeah, There's yeah. some leaders that know they have the bias and okay. they're like, oh, but this is just the way it's done. And, me, um, me, me you know, too. I've done it my whole life and I've, I've yeah. seen those leaders, but I think the why change? Yeah, yeah the important it. thing as an organization is if you want to move forward, is like kind of working around those leaders in some ways, and like you know not bringing them into your organization because that's not going to be the organization or the leader that's going to help an organization change and address those biases. You want 100%. the ones that are going to be, you know, maybe unaware, and you can educate them on it and work with them on it and talk to them about what the market insight shows you about where the talent is and where these individuals sit, and help you bring them in. So what's your current take on um, gaps in employment or resume gaps? Uh, and I've got the full spectrum of answers. So what's you just, you know, where are you at? Where, what do you, when you see a gap, what do you think or do you care or whatever? I don't care. I don't care at all. Um, it's funny. I've <laughs> worked for leaders over the years and hiring managers that have questioned it. Yep. Um, and so I've known in those cases as the recruiter supporting them, I would have to come with answers right. and kind of educate right. them on it. Right. Um, but personally, I think at the end of the day, experience speaks for itself. And whether your experience was yesterday, a year ago, two years ago, right. your experience is what's tangible. And so I don't think whether you took a year off 
yeah. it's any of the recruitment team's business. I do think there's certain cases where they they ask about it yeah, partially yeah. to help advocate for you was always my kind of stance is I would ad- use it to advocate for them with a leader. I've always asked the, the question of, uh, it's a consent question, are you comfortable talking about this cat? Yes. Yeah. Because you know, it could be health related. It could be mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff that, you know what, you're not comfortable. I'm not comfortable talking about it. Yeah. So it's like, are you comfortable talking about it? What I, if if we do, if that person does say, yeah, I'm totally comfortable talking about it, then I'm, I'm interested in the story. Yeah. Like, what's the story? So that I can tell the story, which is, I think, what you meant about advocating. I think that's genius. Yeah. It's like, you know the story, then when it comes up, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's get in front of that. Yeah, exactly. So it's more for me, if I'm asking about it in a recruitment process, and even then I try to veer away from it, right. unless I know I'm supporting that manager that will pick at it. 100%. It's more about objective hand, like objection handling and really being able to get ahead of the potential objection from that more maybe traditional leader right. is what I'll say. Right. Um, and so it's about getting ahead of that and really being able to kind of talk them through why it's okay that people have things that happen in their life. It's no different than if they were employed and went on a sabbatical. That wouldn't show up on their resume, but you care because this happened to happen when they were in a place where they were unemployed. And I think the market, especially over the past four years, with the pandemic, with you know the tech layoffs recently and the recession, it's been so back and forth that why why ask? I saw a LinkedIn post yesterday and the individual was talking about it was um, an individual who helps people into their next job, so right. kind of a recruitment agency. And she was talking, one of their candidates has been laid off four times in the past two years. And it was, she, she talked about how it was more of a reflection of poor leadership at the companies yep. bringing this individual in and poor planning to bring somebody in and two months later be like, oh, we're restructuring or bringing right. somebody in and then pivoting. Right. Then it was a reflection of the individual's actual value. Right. And so I think that's so impactful and so true because at the end of the day, so much of what's happening now is outside of people's control. 100%. You can't control if you joined a company and the next day they decided they're cutting yeah. how many people. Now we're doing widgets. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, that's exactly. That's what I was hired for. Yeah, or you know, I've seen I've seen the case where companies have gone from Salesforce to another tool, and all the Salesforce individuals got cut. And right. Like it's it's outside of their span of control, but it doesn't reflect on their value. No, not at all. Yeah. No, that's a that's a wonderful answer. Okay, so I gotta get your take on skills in terms of hiring for the skills now versus the skills next. Mm. Okay, so, and again, some of that's potentiality, some of that's, you know, looking at someone's resume or skills testing, et cetera, like how are agile are they or teachable, trainable, stuff like that. But, like, what do you care about when you're looking at someone's skills? What's what's important to you? Yeah, so I think um, what you're saying kind of resonates with me from the sense of looking and evaluating somebody's potential to learn. Right. Um, so being with Vena, we grew so much. Yeah. I was there. I joined as a talent sourcer oh, when wow. I first joined in the company seven okay. years ago, right? I left as a talent acquisition director of operations. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so that doesn't happen by luck. Mm-hmm. Part of it's luck, getting the job at a company that's scaling to that size. Right. But a lot of it is that potential to learn and that eagerness to grow and yeah. that... Because somebody at one point said, hey, we have a problem with this. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah. let yeah. me see. 
because you could shut down and go, yeah, I don't know anything about that. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's really what I evaluate when I'm looking at potential to learn is that that push against the status quo and that push to kind of see how do you want to impact things. And one of the questions I've seen managers ask over the years is just, you know, what do you do to continuously learn outside of the day-to-day? Things like HR tech and being here, like conferences, those are great examples of you know, tangible learnings where you're going to other things to pick other people's brains and you can see, and not sticking to the status quo. And you can see some folks that are just stuck. Like they, they're not interested in learning something new or they're yeah. just not. I used to do this bit around technology. It's like every four or five years, you got to reinvest. Mm-hmm. You got to reinvest. Whatever it is that you're doing, you got to reinvest to understand the technology. Yeah. And some people at one point choose, eh, you know. And the thing I'll say is there's nothing wrong with those people, right? There's nothing wrong with the person that's comfortable in the status quo, wants the same day in and day out. Right. You know, but not every company is going to be for you. Yeah, don't hire them as a change agent. Exactly. So, and (laughs) I think that's where really industry, scope, growth, those things for a company really come into play. What are you looking for in evaluating? What kind of people do you need on the team? Yep. You know, there were some people when I worked at the government that were amazing and they're going to be lifers in that team. Yeah. And they're top performers, no doubt. Right. But they didn't have that desire to go beyond what they're doing right exactly now. And that's what you're talking about. That's totally fine. And I think yep. that's amazing. And they were great it's, mentors and great coaches for what they did. Yeah, it's fitting them into the right thing to where they'll thrive. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I love that. I love yeah. that. Okay, so ghosting. <laughs> yeah. Got two questions left. One's on ghosting. It's uh, your take on candidates, ghosting, interview, or you know, hiring managers, recruiters, and then recruiters kind of ghosting candidates Mm -hmm. what's your what's your take on ghosting never acceptable um (laughs) in short i think that's i've i've gotten that from both candidates and recruiters yeah and i think i think that's honestly what it comes down to is whether it's you as a candidate and your personal brand and your personal representation or you as an employer and your brand and your representation right um your employer brand is so based a lot of times on word of mouth, right? Your network of where you're hiring, that person you're interviewing today might be best friends with the person that you want to hire tomorrow. 100%. Well, if you ghost that person today, the person you want to hire tomorrow may not feel as positively about your experience or about that opportunity because they know what you've put their friend through or their family through or whatever it may be. That's right. And so word of mouth is so impactful still, which is... It seems like something that's so often forgotten, but it's so impactful in the marketing space and it doesn't go away. And so I think both on the candidate side and on the employer side, there's so many little things you can do to help automate the process so that it makes, you know, it makes it more scalable, right? And so when you're getting a thousand applications for one job, that seems overwhelming. And how do I get back to everybody? And how do I do that? But there's certain things you can do to personalize it and help automate it so that it can be that unique experience for they everybody. They get something. Yeah. They get something. Exactly. I think, I, I think also, I think the further you are in the process, mm-hmm. the more egregious the ghosting is. I would agree. I you would agree. Um, it's but not I acceptable s- even at the start. Yeah. But it's even less acceptable five interviews in. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I've seen both sides of it, right? So I've, I'm currently looking for what's next. Yeah. And I've had opportunities that I was really excited about and I just haven't heard back from. And I've yeah. followed up a couple times and I haven't and, heard back. And, and it you know how this technology great. works. You actually know how this should be. Yeah, I know. I know. And it's it's interesting because on the candidate side, you, 
I think often when you're on the employer side, you forget about the anxiety and the stress oh, yeah. and the emotional the side that comes as being a candidate, right? right? right. And it is a two-way street. Yep. But it also, there's a lot more of that stress and stuff that comes on the candidate side, especially if you've been impacted by a layoff or something to that extent that you feel it takes a ding at you and oh, your yeah. esteem every time. 100%, 100%. So I think that's why it's so important. And I agree. It's more, the further into the process, it definitely hurts a bit more. Yep. Because um, you've invested so much time. But at the application stage, too, it doesn't feel great when you're putting things out there and you hear no. nothing. Because you're not applying to jobs yeah. that you don't care about. You're, you're, you're being thoughtful in your process. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you're putting yourself forward. Every time you put yourself forward, they, if, when they don't get back to you, that's a rejection. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I'll keep, keep, getting, keep getting rejected, rejected, rejected. Which, mm -hmm. Again, that's life. Got it. However, yeah, there's a nice way to do that. Yeah. There's a nice way to say, hey, listen, you've got three things that we want. We need five things. So it's not a great fit for us right now. Yeah. But we want to keep in touch with you. We want you to keep in touch with us. Maybe at one point we could, we could, be, we could do something together. Like, yeah. that's okay. So I actually saw a really amazing idea shared on LinkedIn the other day. I can't remember the name of who shared it, but I liked it. And so if you go into my history, you can see it there. Because um, I want to give credit to who actually had this idea and implemented it on their team. But one of the scalable ways I've seen people do it for the application stage is identify, you know, five key reasons that commonly people might not make it past the application for. Write up custom templates for those oh, yeah, five yeah, 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 yeah. and title them accordingly. So if it's not, don't have management experience right. or haven't led a team of this size, haven't right. project managed. And so you can still give that feedback right. in a scalable way right. that makes people understand the decision yeah. and also know what they need to get those types of roles going yeah, forward. Yeah, this is, this is, I understand why. Yeah, if exactly. they understand why, and I think it's the sooner that they understand why, the more, the less anxiety, angst, and all that other stuff, hatred, uh, that comes, you can, you can forgive somebody. It's, 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 uh, it's almost unforgivable. You've been five interviews, nine interviews in, and it's like, you're, you're talking about, like, start dates. Yeah. And, you know, getting down to the nitty gritty, right? You're already yeah. there to this place, and all of a sudden they just kind of bow out of the process. It's like, yeah. that's that's another that's a human being on the other end of the phone, mm -hmm. or the whatever. See, what's funny is being a talent acquisition leader specifically, and I, I don't know that a lot of my peers would agree with this. I almost look at that as an opportunity. If I were to be hired into a company that had ghosted me, and they came back and they're like, "We want to hire you after a month." Well, let me tell you a quick story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's an opportunity for me to provide feedback and understand more about it. But then also, if I were to join, potentially right. fix that and help bridge that candidate experience, um, which is something that I think is interesting in a unique perspective, probably, because a lot of people would just be like, oh, written yeah. off. Yeah, no, Whereas done. for me, I'm like, oh, that's an easy fix. I can help with that. Let right. me help you make a better candidate experience. Okay, so I got it because you're in recruiting operations. Yes. And not a lot of people know <laughs> what recruiting operations yes. is or does and all that other stuff. What is recruiting operations? Great question. Define that for us. Yeah, I mean, it's something, it's funny. I say it kind of became more trendy about a year ago. Yeah. Um, I pivoted into this role back in September 2021 and officially stepped off of the hands-on hiring probably around March 2022 as okay. we had a new leader join and we were able to pivot some things around. 
filled my last couple of roles and then I moved over. Yeah. Um, so what talent acquisition operations really is, is less of the hands-on hiring, but it's more of the programmatic fixes, the systems, the tooling, um, the data and analytics, all those pieces. So when you think of an operations department, but applying them to talent acquisition and helping to level those up. So my day-to-day could be anything from leading larger scale change management initiatives to working with our customer success managers for the tools. The glue that pulls everything together? Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much, A, for your time today. B, but also kind of breaking down recruiting operations because it's a passion of mine. And uh, just thank you for your time, Catherine. Of course. It was lovely meeting with you, William. Vice versa. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Until next time. Thank you.